Welcome to the Fishbowl, the podcast where I record conversations about business, entrepreneurship, and other valuable topics. Fishbowl, episode seven. We're here in the Student Activity Center, and I'm here today with a pretty cool guest. His name is Andy Hassler. Andy, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thanks. Well, thank you for being on the show today. Andy and I just talked for the past half an hour before we just hit the record button. And guys, this is going to be a great episode. Tons of value. Tons of engineering talk. I'm no engineer at all. But the way Andy explains it definitely makes me understand what he's working on now. So we're just going to go ahead and dive right into it. Andy works at uh, Brocker Technologies. and Tell them a little bit about what you do there. Yeah, Brocker Technologies uh, is a company I formed in 2016 uh, to commercialize a technology that was kind of sitting on the shelf in academia. And it was really amazing and interesting, but it wasn't going anywhere. Um, and it's a metal plating uh, or metal coating business. Yeah, so that's... That's what keeps me busy now. Absolutely. In a nutshell, what the process of metal coating is, is taking your, you know, a metal, say, metal, just... Steel a lot of times and other, you know, you can plate aluminum, you can anodize it and things like that. But Absolutely. And making it a lot stronger, making the qualities of it a lot uh, more durable, uh, you mentioned anti-corrosion. Yeah, people are familiar with chrome plating and zinc plating and gold plating for jewelry and things like that. Um, rhodium plating for specialty jewelry applications. Um, but most people know chrome, you know, from bumpers and hydraulic cylinders and, you know, the chrome on your toilet fixtures. I mean, it's, it's pretty common. Absolutely. And the history of this technology has actually been around for quite the while, Andy was telling me. Go ahead and kind of go into that. Yeah, this... Um, unfortunately, um, it was found by an accident. Um, so, um, back in the late sixties, um, a gentleman, um, named, uh, Noel Cook in Schenectady, New York, um, he was trying to do one thing and came up with a, uh, came up with what they called the metal lighting process. And unfortunately they didn't know what to do with it. Um, so they, they, came up with the process and tossed it around from one lab to the next and eventually ended up gifting it to Gannon University. Um, yeah, and that's kind of where you went ahead and picked it up with your business partner, uh, which is a retired professor. Yep, yep. So I, you know, in industry was looking for solutions to, you know, wear problems especially. Um, I was designing components for combines and you know they would wear out with just the grain flowing through them and you know these are large expensive you know one-of-a-kind parts you know that some of them are you know designed to wear out but others you know just the internal passages of the grain flow in the machine were wearing out you know a little prematurely and you know well what is the solution to that you know it's it's a large part it's you know you have to be careful with your cost and so I was searching for technologies to kind of help that and help the hydraulics that I was working on too. And came, you know, finally found, um, you know, Dr. Haltman and his work uh, with the metal lighting at, uh, at Gannon. 
and then kind of developed a relationship from there. Absolutely. And you guys have been corresponding for the past 12 yeah, years? Yeah, this goes back yeah, about 10 or 12 years now. Wow, that's incredible. Really in the making. And Andy really has a vast experience in uh, hydraulic engineering, which is his specialty. That leads him to kind of where he is now, uh, being able to really see this new technology. By the way, how, how did you feel whenever you first heard about this technology? Well, it's interesting because it was such a game changer. Most most of the other processes out there, I mean, you know, diamond-like coatings and, you know, your uh, physical vapor deposition and laser cladding and um, chemical vapor deposition, you can, you can make amazing surfaces that way, but you can't do it in high volumes and you can't do it economically. Um, and when, you know, I saw this process, I'm like, that clicked, this light bulb went off. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is vastly different than anything else out there. Um, the most close, the closest, closest analog is called pack diffusion. Excuse me, pack diffusion. And even that's a, a very manual process where you have to manually, you know, pack material around a part and then bake it essentially. And, you know, this metal lighting process uses a molten salt bath. And so that's, that's what got me excited. I'm like, oh, well, this is different. This can be automated. <laughs> And once you start automating things, it changes the whole dynamic of, you know, how you handle parts and, you know, can run lights out. Absolutely. Andy really looks at this solution in a really big picture, which I like, not only in the engineering sense, but also the industry application sense, which is what has really been overlooked in the past um, by the company that actually found uh, out this technology existed about 50, 50, 60 years ago, would you say? Yeah, pack diffusion's been around for a while. Uh, I, that was developed, I think, outside of General, Ele General Electric. But, um, yeah. But Very cool. And now Andy is at the East Center at Hermitage, just to hop in a skip away from Grove City, where we're meeting today. Uh, and Brocker Technologies actually has a very interesting meaning behind it. So go ahead and tell the fishbowl audience what Brocker means. Well, I had to come up with a name, and uh, that's usually what entrepreneurs waste their time on initially is you have to have a, a name. And uh, so, you know, being a science fiction and, you know, comic nerd, um, I found the story of, you know, how Thor's hammer was made, and there's this character called Brocker. Um, and uh, to tell the story a little bit, um, Go for it. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious because uh, Brocker and his brother Etri, you know, basically make a bet, and uh, if they can come up with these three magical, you know, creations, if they win the bet, well, they get to take Loki's head, and uh, so they end up winning the bet, and Brocker, you know, goes and uh, you know tries to take Loki's head, um, but Loki, you know, calls him on a technicality and says he can't take my head because that would mess up my neck. <laughs> so it's like okay he's just a slippery character no matter you know what, where he shows up and uh but but in the process of making thor's hammer loki disguised himself as a you know a fly and ends up biting brocker as he's working the bellows and uh you know that stumbling that inconsistency in the working of the bellows is, is what causes Bro uh, thor's hammer to be shorter than it normally would have been um so that kind of solves the mystery of why is this hammer so short? <laughs> Definitely what I was thinking about whenever I was watching Thor. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
there's actually a really good uh, book from Neil Gaiman. Gaiman? Um, I forget how you pronounce his name. Does He did Stardust and American Gods and some other things, but he, he did recently produced a uh, Norse mytho- mythology book. And it, oh, wow. It's got all those stories in there and that one. And I'll have to take a look at that. It's really good. Yeah, a very fitting name there, Brocker. When you take a look at it, I first pronounced it bro- Broker, although it definitely makes sense since it's spelled B-R-O-K-K-R. So if you want to take a look at it, do you guys have a website up yet? Yep, it's BrockerTech.com, B-R-O-K-K-R-T-E-C-H.com. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, I've, I've been warned from experts to change the name because it's mispronounced too much. <laughs> but it's easy to find on a web search because nothing's spelled the same way. So. Exactly. <laughs> I like it. I think with the proper brand awareness of, you know, exactly the name, I think it would be fine. Um, although I'm, I'm no expert, of course. But you really have had quite the experience uh, with engineering, different sorts, whether it be from routing to doing more, you know, in front of the computer work, you were telling me. Yep, a little bit of everything. Absolutely. And that uh, started in 1998 when you graduated from RIT. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell me about, you know, first off, going to college, since a lot of our listeners go to Grove City College at the moment, uh, and then your transition uh, as well as through all your jobs. Wow. Yeah, Grove City is a lot different than RIT. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, how do you even capture the differences? Um, <laughs> my gosh. You guys are lucky at Grove City. Uh, it's a very healthy, wholesome atmosphere. Um, it is. And that's that's good. Um, that's good for kids. Um, RIT, they pretty much just worked us to death. <laughs> and uh, the uh, I think by the, by the end of it, um, they really didn't have any rules. And what rules they did have, you didn't have to adhere to. <laughs> so I had two lesbian roommates for a while. Wow, that's incredible! <laughs> yeah. So guys could room with girls. Uh, yeah, in the apartments, um, that was apparently not an issue. Um, and the biggest problem wasn't that they were lesbians; is that they had cats, which was actually against the rules. And that was really annoying. <laughs> How about that? How many? Two, two cats. Wow. You don't need that anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so RIT um, enabled me. You know, going there enabled me to to get a really good job at the Raymond Corporation designing hydraulic systems for their forklifts and, uh, you know, working on, you know, hands-on with the computer, designing things in CAD, you know, pro-engineer and um, trying different systems, different fluids, and, you know, really, really having a lot of fun just trying different things. And you were there for about nine years? About eight years, yeah. Wow. And kind of got tired of that. Yeah, when wanted more challenges and went to Case New Holland to work on their combines and wind rowers and did about three years with the combines and three years designing uh, a wind rower system from the ground up. And a wind rower, if you're not familiar with it, is a, it's a, like the biggest, baddest lawnmower you could possibly imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it goes and cuts, you know, your your uh, you know your specialty grasses and sorghums and hays and stuff and. You know, for the balers to come back and, and then bail it up. So for farmers. For farmers. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the the whole goal of the machine was to go faster on the highway. So instead of driving like fourteen miles an hour, they wanted to drive twenty five miles an hour. 
<laughs> which, which, if you if you knew the geometry of a a windrower, uh, they all have caster wheels. So it's like driving a twenty five mile per hour shopping cart. It's kind of unstable. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it was lots of hair raising experiences. That's incredible. I, how was the demand like for a product like that? Oh, pretty healthy. Pretty healthy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I guess there's a niche for everything. Yeah. <laughs> and lots of there's plenty of competition. Deer has them, MacDon has them, and, mm. yeah. And we were kind of chasing the competition a little bit. Absolutely, and that was actually where uh, you got to go back to kind of your roots over in New Holland. Andy actually grew up in Lancaster, PA. We have plenty of individuals here, at Grove City College. Uh, you know, tons of nice people that I know that are from Lancaster. Uh, pretty no, sweet there. I'm not Amish. <laughs> I asked an Amish girl out one time. How'd that go? She, she turned me down. <laughs> it happens. It happens. <laughs> but uh, sweet. And then after that, that's when you kind of started to flex your entrepreneurial muscles, so to speak, uh, with a kind of group you uh, joined. Yeah, the Integris group. Um, they had me working remotely. They were based in Peoria, and I got to work out of a, an office I rented. Could have worked out of my home, but it's it's good to you know get out of the house. And uh, would you say it's more productive? Yeah, yeah, and I'm finding that here again too. Um, it's good to get out and be with people. Um, Absolutely, <laughs> that helps you to you know put clothes on and shave and shower and those those things are important. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I read an article not too long ago about how you dress. Whether you're around, you know, tons of people or you're not around many people at all, but how you dress can actually have it, an impact on your productivity. Yeah, it affects your personality and productivity. So even when you're doing a phone interview, you should dress for the phone interviews. Mm -hmm. um, just like right now, I'm not sitting in my pajamas doing a podcast. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> these poor, these poor coeds here with me. Shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we're in the fishbowl, so, I mean, we definitely have, uh, you know, anyone can look in here, so, but nonetheless, pretty sweet. Uh, the Integris Group, you did a little bit of consulting there. Yeah, they hired me for a pretty big project um, to do, it was a big mining machine project, and uh, they needed some hydraulic help, and that was the, the goal, and at the same time, they wanted to... You know, send me out to different companies and try to, you know, sell my services as a hydraulics expert. Doesn't seem to have panned out. I mean, it, the market really doesn't support that kind of activity. And I don't think anybody really appreciated that until we tried it. Um, but it was a good experience. And I still maintain a good relationship with the guys. Um, you know, they had to, you know, cut me loose because I wasn't making them any money. You know, it's kind of the business. They were entrepreneurs themselves. And can't keep somebody on your staff who's not making you money. Absolutely. <laughs> so, That's fascinating. Yeah. Now, is hydraulics engineering consulting, is that like a lucrative business for some enterprise, for some I think there's, there's a few guys out there that are making a living at it. But for the most part, they're, you know, if you're an expert in it, you're tied to a company. And it's because it's so product, all the solutions are product based. It doesn't matter if I come up with a great calculation, you still have to go out and buy a pump. You have to buy a filter. Um, and, you know, because it's it's related to the product, you have to be able to buy it and sell it. So you're either tied to, like, a pump manufacturer like Bosch or, uh, you know, you have a filter manufacturer 
down the street in uh, Schroeder Industries uh, near Pittsburgh. Wow. So, guys like that. Yeah. I, it's hard for me to wrap my head around such complex products that you guys build as engineers. You know, for me, my extent is, you know, making a label and a bottle for a tea, right, <laughs> for my grandma's recipe. But with something like this, literally so many moving parts, so many individuals working on this. As an engineer on any given one of your projects, how many people could there be? On a, on a single project. Yeah, it adds up pretty fast. Um, I think we had, we counted at Raymond, and I think we had like 18 or 20 guys dedicated to the project, and like um, 10 or 11 of them were RIT guys, which was neat, so we got this big RIT group photo and stuff. Yeah. Um, a bunch of RIT alumni working at you know, Raymond. And, uh, but yeah, it, it takes a team, and... It's definitely an underappreciated part of the engineering aspect is the system design work um, that has to go on. You're never building, never building in a, a bubble. Um, you're always interacting with purchasing. You're always act, interacting with software, materials. Um, you know, you know, you have to be able to get the part into the building to be able to build it. So all of those things, the logistics come into play, and it takes a lot of people and a lot of personalities, not just numbers and math. And schools are slow to pick up on that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So maybe as your advice for school, it might be kind of focus on some communication at least in engineering. It's changed a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how much has been talked about it, but, you know, I went to school in 90, you know, 93 to 98, and uh, which was it's a five-year program if you do the math. But mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, nothing went wrong there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're still trying to produce engineers that, you know, worked, uh, you know, basically at a drawing board or, you know, in a corporation that worked with drawing boards. Um, and that was changing so dramatically at the time where the engineer became the drafter, became the designer, became the technician, became the manager all in one hat, and they, they mean, why, why hire two people when you can hire an engineer to do everything? Well, that's great, but, you know, the engineers are, you know, they're, they're a breed by themselves, you know, so if they're not trained to manage people, that's not usually one of their best talents. <laughs> uh -huh. Um, so I, I look back and, uh, I was just blown away by the realization that numbers and math don't win the day. Um, it is about people first, second, and third, and how you interact with them. And doesn't matter how much you know, doesn't matter how good your numbers are, if you can't work with the people, you're going to fail. And and I've struggled with that. You know, I. Um, I've caused plenty of my own problems by not being the best people person sometimes. That's fascinating. Yeah. While reading Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, I saw his statistic. I think it's in the first chapter that says the way you communicate with people, uh, excuse me, good communicators uh, will on average make you know, 80% more than an individual who isn't. Mm -hmm. And that's just because of the way they can work themselves up through that communication 
uh, as well as just being a people person. Do you find that also to be, you know, a trend with engineering? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, and the best managers are typically, you know, the best communicators. Um, but what happens is you stay at a company long enough and through attrition, you become the top guy. And regardless of your people skills, you're tapped to be a manager, whether you were trained or skilled at it. And you just fall into that position. And I've seen it every company I've worked for. And it's, it's really, really bizarre. Um, hmm. And you see some efforts to have this program management office and things like that, but it's, it's kind of uh, you know polishing poop a little bit. It wow. It's not not still not the right approach. That's um, fascinating to me. So typically, the individuals doing the managing are those guys with all you know gray or white hair. Yeah, they're still engineers. Mm-hmm. They just yeah. Fascinating, awesome. So, from consulting. The last thing we were talking about, you learned several lessons. You know, it was kind of the uh, school hard knock for you. Tell me about some of the lessons you learned uh, from that consulting entrepreneurial approach you took. Yeah, they they threw me out there to the, you know, to the real world and said, you know, go knock on doors and, you know, sell your services. And um, I had no training as a salesman. (laughs) So how do you do that? And, uh made some pretty bad mistakes and, you know, found out a lot about myself. Um, and you grow from it. You, you take those lessons and, you know, hopefully build, you know, build your skill set. But, you know, you really find your, where you're comfortable and where you're not. But it's good to stretch yourself for sure. Um, and I'm probably better now at it, having gone through that. Um, but it's painful to be thrown into it you know initially it's like getting thrown into ice water it's a little shocking that's fascinating i love sales because it's so dynamic you know everyone i've asked that has been a salesperson or has had any sort of sales experience sales can be many many different types of things anything from consulting like yourself to you know of course a product to a sales cycle which lasts years and years. I know medical office sales. Uh, you know, one guy told me it took him six years to close a sale uh, with a single hospital for one product, and the product went th- oh, went through like an upgrade or two during that time, and it was fascinating. Now everyone has a crazy sales story. Tell me one of yours. Oh, oh, this is wow. To your own self, be true. Yeah. I, uh, we weren't sure how to make, approach this one customer and, you know, I'm sitting in the parking lot and we're talking on the phone and trying to figure out how, you know, how to approach them and, uh, what not to do. Um, and you know, I have like this list of like five things in my life that I should never have done. This is like number two. <laughs> The 16-year-old and the smoking, that might have been... (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I I pretended to be an applicant to a job to get to talk to the engineering manager to sell him our services. That's an interesting approach. And I was sick to my stomach afterwards. Um, just, Just sick to my stomach. Um, yeah, it was, it was not, 
it was deceitful. It was just straight up deceitful. Um, I had to apologize um, profusely um, to a couple of the people I interacted with at that at that company. Just you know, and then they understood. You know, they said, "Yeah, you you make mistakes and you learn from them." But um, obviously, we didn't do any business with them. Wow. <laughs> but uh, um, but yeah, you you have to be honest and straightforward now. Obviously, that sounds obvious at the time to you know. You have to be honest, but when you're under pressure, you know, your company sends you out to Wichita and, you know, you're trying to drum up business and you're on your own and it's fly or die. It's the pressure's on. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, it's a test of character. So don't, don't want to add up too many of those big character mistakes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So. We all have those, but. Nonetheless, they make for good stories. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So just, you know, one of the lessons you learned with a little bit of sales experience back then, I could see how nowadays we're uh, working out of the e-center in Hermitage, uh, those people's skills as well as sales in a startup that, you know, you're currently in is really going to come in handy. And seeing as how you know really a lot about all the applications and what Rocker can do with their diffusion coding and metal plating, I really think that, you know, those will help you out in the future. So next up is the Manitowoc. Manitowoc. Oh, Manitowoc. Yep. Uh, train. Crane. Oh, Crane, my bad. <laughs> train Crane. <laughs> so that was your fourth job out of school. And that was actually when you had to have a Quite the change of scenery, right? Yeah, we picked up and moved and w- went out to Manitowoc, Wisconsin, just north of uh, Milwaukee and uh, Sheboygan and uh, near Green Bay, actually. And they actually, they, they check you at the border they, and they program you to be a Packers fan. And <laughs> you are there forever, a Packers fan. There is no getting around it. Wow. <laughs> so it, it's pretty fun. Um, nicest people on the planet. I just, I loved, they had such an open personality. We're very closed off on the East Coast. Um, and it's, it's not, like I said, it's not as bad, um, you know, on this side of the mountains, but you get, you know, the side of the mountains in Pennsylvania, it's even more closed off. So, mm. but people were very open, um, just, you know, friendly, just out of the blue friendly. Um, and we, we really liked that. Um, but yeah, man, Manitowoc, unfortunately, um, they they didn't <laughs> there there again. If you're hiring someone, tell them what job they're actually going to be doing. If if you really need somebody to you know plumb your machine, you know ninety percent of the time, you need to tell them that. Um, so I went in with the expectation that I'd be doing system design ninety percent of the time, and ended up doing plumbing. So I do hold a you know union plumber's card as well. Um, because I've done so much plumbing on machines. So plumbing on a machine... Connecting the hydraulic components together, running, routing, and uh, doing the CAD work. and. So that's very, like, hands-on. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. So it's literally like you're building it, like, with your hands and parts. Mm, yeah, it was... On, on the cranes, it was all in the CAD for the most part. And then you'd go, you know, turn the wrenches with the, you know, the shop guys, the prototype, but... Yeah, on the on the wind rowers, yeah, I was sitting underneath the machine trying to guess what what length hose and where what angle fitting to use, and so that was it was a little smaller scale on the wind rower, but it was a full time. We had three or four guys doing it um, on the cranes. It's just um just unbelievable amount of parts and stuff. 
Wow. So it's hard to wrap your head around that. Um, obviously, you know, it requires tons of education, tons of experience to get to that point. But that's incredible to me. You're a mechanic on something, on something so complex, right? And uh, but moving to Wisconsin uh, from the typical spot you were at. Now, all your jobs have been in Lancaster until then. Lancaster. Well, yeah, uh, Raymond was up in Binghamton, New York, mm-hmm. Green, New York area. Um, but yeah, so yeah, East Coast stuff. But yeah, Wisconsin was quite a change, and uh, you get to learn. You know, people have different ideas of what conservative is and what, you know, what what role the government should play and how they tax you and whether you should pay the government, you know, to tax you know, for your education and stuff. And, yeah, they didn't they didn't want to spend money on their schools. And that's the large reason, largest reason why we came back to the East Coast, almost to the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And now you live in Grove City with your family. Uh, and your family attends, or your children attend the local school here, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, you know, Andy was telling me is quite the difference in terms of uh, school education uh, than where he lived in Wisconsin. So individuals listening, definitely something to be grateful for here in Western PA. We actually have pretty good schools. So that was in 2013 you moved there. How long were you there? Oh, two and a half years, and uh, then we decided to. Well, it was obvious they were making large changes. Um, like I said when uh, we were talking earlier, when when you're in the middle of prototyping and somehow the company has time and money to paint the overhead cranes and walls and polish the floors, something's going on. I think, I, like I said, I had a list of 31, 31 different things that you would never see at an company unless they were getting ready to sell it mm. <laughs> and sure enough like they did they ended wow. up breaking the company in part apart from its uh um they had a ice business uh, the food service business and the crane business they split it apart and then uh you know sold off the food service and uh, moved all of the crane production um to their pennsylvania plant How's the culture like in the business when you see the business it's liquidating? It's just toxic. Mm-hmm. Everyone's, everyone's, yeah, clinging on for dear life. And when your top lawyers start quitting, you know, when, when your head counsel quits out of the blue after 20 years, things like that, it's like, you know, things are going on. People in HR start quitting because they're sick to their stomachs because they know what's coming down the pipe. It's just, it's just nuts. Yeah, and at the same time, you're trying to jam projects through, and you're losing people, and it's just not fun. So, wow. Now you have a list of thirty-one things. What are the other things? <laughs> thirty-one things? I don't think I remember them all. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Nonetheless, uh, that's a position you have kind of uh, found yourself in a couple times. Um, so that's fascinating to me. I. I really want to avoid that. <laughs> uh, so if you could send me that list, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. but, um, if it smells like a rat, it's, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So from there, yeah, after those two and a half years of working on cranes, you came on over for a little bit different of a job. Well, it's a similar job, but mm-hmm. you know, working on the underground mining equipment at Joy, uh, Joy Global. And, uh, you know, that that was that was gonna be that was gonna be a good change. You know, I was replacing a guy that had been there um, 
you know, his whole career. He was getting ready to retire in a few years. And they wanted some overlap, you know, bring the new guy in, get him up to speed, you know, so he can, you know, contribute. Because mining's different than cranes, and cranes are different than agriculture, and agriculture's different than forklifts. It's just, um, mining's very different. <laughs> um, How the, so? Uh, the regulations associated with it, the, the speed at which the industry moves, the rate at which you can introduce new, te new technology. Um, there's this thing called MSHA, the Mining uh, Safety Board, that uh, controls you know what you can do and you know because they don't want people blowing up underground it's bad so <laughs> that would be terrible yeah, so they're they're overly cautious um to the point of it's totally neurotic what they do um but nonetheless you got to work within the rules you know one guy's not gonna walk in and change the industry so you gotta, you gotta be flexible there um but yeah they uh they were very very excited to bring me on board Set me up, you know, big hugs all around, and three days after I sat down at my desk, they announced they were closing down the factory across the street in Franklin. How was that? Like? That was that was bad. <laughs> that was pretty bad. How did it make you feel? I'm like, I just moved my family all the way back from Wisconsin, and you know, what the heck? You know, it was just mind blowing. Yeah, and uh, a month after I started, they gave me a new manager and a new role, completely new role, new group. You know, like, I wasn't prepared for this. I wouldn't have moved back for, you know, what I ended up doing. It was insane. Um, so, yeah. How did you transition? How did you first off find all these jobs? Oh, how to find jobs? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, I'm blessed and lucky. Uh, I have no skill in finding jobs. Um, it's, yeah. It's, it's kind of like the dirty jobs philosophy you don't do what you love you love what you do maybe um <laughs> but uh there's not many guys that wake up in the morning and say oh i want to play in hydraulic oil all day you know it's a dirty nasty filthy field uh, i actually wanted to do that so <laughs> i'm like the oddball um but uh you know guys in mechanical engineering oh i want to build race cars or aircraft or submarines or aircraft carriers or something like that you know automotive engineering um but uh turns out being a specialty in a you know field makes getting jobs you know a lot easier so um yeah they uh, it's yeah when i put my resume out there um it, it pops up pretty fast people are looking for hey we have this niche we need to fill and there's not many people that fit that bill so i i see exactly what you mean now my dad is he works in a lab for a hospital and he does pathology which is the diagnosis and he also does another thing so it's a dual specialty mm -hmm. that i think they only have three pathologists in the whole hospital yeah and I think they only have two hematologists, which is the other thing he does. And I always, we moved around plenty of times as well. We actually moved eight times throughout my life, um, my 20 year old life. And I always wondered how he was, you know, able to literally like keep working. Like, like that's the downside of being a specialist is, mm. um, there's not as many jobs. Um, mm -hmm. And in retrospect, it's like, man, I should, you know, sometimes when I see how I've drugged my children around, my wife around, and uprooted them to pay the bills, 
you know, so there, weren't, there weren't any other hydraulic jobs in Lancaster at the time when I left, you know, and I got let go from the Integris guys, you know, because I wasn't making them any money, so, yeah, I could, I, I could, I could have driven a hundred miles and not found anything, um, so off to Wisconsin, you know, to find something that fit even close to my specialty, but as a specialty, you know, it's like, and they were happy, you know, they're ecstatic to find somebody that can do what they need, you know, because there's not that many, um, but the downside is, yeah, it's like if you want to work for the uh, nuclear industry, you know, you got to live next to the nuke plant, you know, <laughs> and there's, there's not a nuke plant in every town. Yeah. So you're better off, well, being a hairdresser is not that bad because they can have six hairdressers in town. Being a mechanic, there's a mechanic on every corner, you know, and, uh, you know, you get these grandiose dreams of uh, building space shuttles and, you know, oh, I want to work for SpaceX and, um They've called me twice. I've talked to SpaceX twice. First time they wanted the manufacturing engineer. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know which way the drill bit spins. So that's about it. I'm not a manufacturing engineer. Second time they called me, they wanted me to work 50% of the time in Texas, 50% of the time in Florida, 50% of the time in Vandenberg. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> when, when am I going to be home? This is, <laughs> this is more than 100% here, guys. <laughs> like, something's not adding up. Um, but, Literally. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you're a young guy and you don't have a family, you don't care. Maybe that's the thing to do. But like, I, I like playing Scrabble with my kids. I don't like losing now, but <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a little tough for Dad to get his butt kicked. But you know, <laughs> turns out weir is a word. W e e r weir wow. in the weir hours of the morning. Morning. How about the that? The plural of wee hours. Okay. <laughs> so that's definitely sure. not your specialty. No, no, no. I, God, please don't ask me to spell anything. <sighs> that's awesome. But yeah. All these experiences you've had, it's incredible. I'm sitting here as a 20-year-old and I'm like, whoa. That's quite the full life, right? Um, just since 1998, that's I was one years old by then, but you've done so much. <laughs> You know, so so much productivity, so much communication, travel, et cetera, in that time. And it's very, very cool for me to see. I literally have all your kind of jobs with times laid out here. So next up, Lindy Hydraulics yep. is the next one. Yeah, so yeah, moving back here and then getting laid off from Joy because yeah, at the end, you could see, obviously, they were making huge changes shutting down a factory. You know, their big factory, their union factory. Take note of that. The non-union factories stayed open. Mm. Mm, interesting. Um, and uh, so, yeah, in, in uh, uh, June that year, they laid off 17 people, including myself and, and the engineering group. <clears throat> and then said, see ya. And then two weeks later, Komatsu bought them. <laughs> oh, wow. So this was all in the cards. They were planning that for months. So it's like, well, and. And and honestly, I, I have no hard feelings about it. Some of the guys had been there 20, 25 years and got laid off. I mean, they were they were speechless. Like, how do you how do you even react to that? You know, you, you know basically one thing well, but it's a lot harder to pick up and move. You know, when you're you know that established. Um, so I see what you mean. So with them, it was very specific. Uh, to mining, mm -hmm. but with you, your first job for nine years was Raymond Corp. 
you mentioned you were working on a bunch of different things. Oh, well, it's hydraulics and yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's always been hydraulics, but that's pretty f- flexible. So absolutely, mm-hmm. but, that that's fascinating to me. But like, I'm I'm glad they I'm glad they chose me and not my partners that had been there, you know, fifteen and thirty years in hydraulics at that company. That would have been devastating to them, you know. So fortunately, Lindy was, um, you know, over in Can- Canfield, and you know they were looking for someone like me, and um, yeah, they found they found me. Um, I wasn't I didn't even know they were out there. Um, so how's it like being found by a business? Do they send you a letter or what? <laughs> you don't have your resume on Monster yet. No. <laughs> yeah. Um. So there's this thing called data mining. Yeah. And yeah, they all do it. It's it's pretty hilarious. Um, I don't respond to the robots because <laughs> my first name's Charles. So um, a lot of the automated emails will they'll just say, "Dear C," because I put C Andrew Hessler on all of my resumes. So it just picks up the first name as being C. Well, obviously, no human typed in "Dear C." So you know you're getting these spam robot emails, and it's just they're just data mining, you know. So, oh. um, how about that? <laughs> don't ever know that. I've heard the term. I didn't quite know how it would. Yeah, all these be used. all those big sites and ZipRecruiter and Monster and Indeed and all those sites they they data mine and you know, eventually it filters up to a human being at some point and they'll they'll call you. Um, about that so over in lindy that was about a 50 minute commute every day for you Mm -hmm. quite the cruise as you say but over there you were back to you know what your roots so Mm -hmm. to speak yeah playing hydraulics working on pumps and motors and valves and yeah so that was that was a lot of fun yeah Mm -hmm. but throughout all this time pretty much um since case new holland if my math is right you were talking with a retired professor over in Yannon mm-hmm. to uh, use this technology for what is now Brocker Tech. Yep, yep. Every time I have a problem, I'd call him back up and say, hey, are you ready to plate some parts for me? Because I have another problem. And, you know, every other year for 12 years, basically. And he was never ready. <laughs> Absolutely. Fascinating. <laughs> Which is okay. He's getting ready to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, well, maybe you should commercialize it. So... So that's where it started, from engineer to entrepreneur. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. <laughs> and what he means when he says, um, you know, every time uh, he called him up, right, that's like in between those little gaps of times he had, Andy was pumped to, over the past 10 years, really get to work on Brocker, which is cool. I like projects which have been in the making for a long time, especially when you have a lot of knowledge uh, backed into it. And I think this is really, really sweet. You were talking about abrasion in hydraulics. Mm-hmm. Just to clarify, so with something Brocker wood, metal plate, the abrasion wouldn't really exist. Is that correct? Well, yeah, it certainly reduced a lot. Um, and, and that's what you do. You, you heat treat, you harden, you, you know, harden and temper and anneal your products to make them strong and tough and you know, hard surfaced. Um, so that there's, there's less wear and, and that's, that's one of the, one of the processes we can run is to, 
you know, add, add boron into the surface and make it, you know, make steel as hard as tungsten carbide with the ductility of a steel. And that's, that's a pretty phenomenal trait to have in a material. It is. That's incredible. And that saves, you know, industries money because they don't have to, I, I suppose, replace yep. the part. Yeah. And, you know, in the combines, um, the, the goal isn't to make parts for combines. There's not a lot of money in it, but it's a nice safe place to start. There's very low risk. I don't have to, you know, have NADCAP certification for my lab. <laughs> and if you're in the aerospace industry, you can go look up NADCAP. But uh, <laughs> there's all these certifications. But you don't have to do that to make, you know, cutting blades for, you know, combines and threshing threshing parts. Um, but, yeah, they, they abrade and wear out, and um, we can make them last a lot longer. Turns out, you know, there's weird applications out there, like in Oregon, where they have volcanic soil you know, go figure, and uh, they wear out their parts faster because it's not dirt. <laughs> it's volcanic huh. ash, which is a glass, which is pretty hard. So, you know, you're wearing out your steel cutting surfaces a lot, lot faster. So anything you can do to, you know, improve productivity is, is helpful. Yeah. Absolutely. And you now have the patent. Uh, the licensing your... agreement, yeah. yeah. And that took a long time. And I think the... the um, anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur, well, first needs to pray a lot. Second, <laughs> needs to just really appreciate how long things take. Um, and so when I, you know, transitioned from Joy being laid off to Lindy, I had, I had to decide: Am I going to go full time, you know, into uh, the Brocker stuff, or do I get a full time job? And you know, I could have paid myself a salary. You know, I had already cashed out the 401ks, which is another whole conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's there's ways to do that that are better than others. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just would have bled myself dry. Um, so uh, the day before I had to, you know, say yes or no to Lindy, I talked to another entrepreneur who's at the e-center, which, you know, being with people that have experience... You know, you, you can leverage that, you know, gray hairs mean, and, you know, people have, people have seen things mm -hmm. and, you know, this guy, Ron said straight up, it takes longer than you can ever imagine. And, uh, and as I thought about that, I'm like, hey, he's probably right. And, uh, and so I took the full-time job and continued working, you know, on the off hours on the, the Brocker stuff, but it took over a year after that point to get the licensing agreement straightened out, which was the first thing that the lending companies wanted. It's like they weren't going to give me any money until I had rights to the technology. So I would have just bled myself dry for a year, you know, just waiting for a licensing agreement. So that was, that was timely advice. Wow. Yeah. With something this highly technical, I'm sure the time is even longer than your typical, right? Uh, you know, straightforward consumer product it, yeah and I, I still probably don't appreciate it um my, my 12 week lead time for buying the uh the coding unit um well i started in december pretty sure my 12 weeks are up <laughs> <laughs> we're about we're about just started mm -hmm. <laughs> the parts the parts were bought and they came in finally so now we're starting to assemble things really cool yeah 
I'd love to go in, maybe take some pictures of the assembly. Or... I'd love to too. Yeah. <laughs> <I hope. laughs> yeah. There's a guy down in uh, Everett, PA, uh, and he's been exceedingly helpful and patient and giving me good terms on, hey, you know, send me cash at you know intervals and you know didn't have to pay them all up front or something like that. So we'll get there. Absolutely. So and. The place where you're actually going to be assembling this machine mm. yourself. Nothing's easy. <laughs> this should be like yes or no questions. Are you building the machine? Yes. <laughs> are you building it in Pennsylvania? Yes. <laughs> where are you building it? No. <laughs> it's more complicated. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm, the machine runs at a thousand degrees Celsius, so I can't set it up in your living room. It's not going to work well. Um, dealing with chemicals that you know when you mix them with water produce acids that will kill you you know so you have to be careful with these things and uh the companies and places you want to set up shop need to know these things too right now the plan is to set up at penn state Barron, um at their small business development center mm -hmm. yep yep they have a, a little incubator up there too and uh and i may be a guinea pig because i don't think anyone else has asked them like who pays for electricity you know can i leave it on all night and are you going to pay the bill or am i going to pay the bill and i don't think anyone's asked them that question yet because i haven't gotten an answer yet <laughs> and that's that's been going on for a year mm. and uh you know how much are they going to charge me per square foot you know mm. and uh so it's it's ongoing we're, we're getting closer but plan b is to set up at the e-center so mm. there i'm asking the you have to do, do things in parallel so um, they may be able to set me up there. So they're looking at that. Uh, in one of the indoor kind mm -hmm. of... Yeah, one of their, their little, what do they call them, uh, office, office areas. Yeah, I've been there before. It's yeah. very neat. Yeah, one of their suites, they call them. Yeah. yeah and, very cool. Yeah. How long have you been with the e-center officially? Uh, it's only been a month, about a month, yeah. Awesome. And I'm only co-working right now, so I, I work in the co-working space and... Uh, you know, share that with other people, but it, it's good. Um, I help, I help with the critical mass of the, uh, the building, having, having people walking around and, um, to interact with is good for productivity and, you know, not being isolated. Absolutely. Co-working space really been rising. I think that's the only one in their kind of rural area over there. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. They're, they, they're, I don't think anyone really appreciates how far they're sticking their neck out. Um, for the area they're in, as rural as, you know, this part of Pennsylvania is, it's unique. Is Very. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've got, you know, the tour uh, Alloy 26 down in Pittsburgh, another um, co-working space. And it's huge. They have 50,000 square feet of office. And uh, they're... 30, 40 people, you know, in their co-working space and offices, you know, filled to the brim with people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty unique for a rural area. Like, you know, it is up here. It's yeah. interesting to see what sort of impact that'll have in coming years, 10 years, right? 20 years. Yep. And, uh, I know Gecko Robotics has been one of their big su success stories. Yeah. And, uh, so, um, they, Hermitage is, they're putting their, they're putting their money where their mouth is. It's pretty impressive, um, the commitment that they, the whole 
the whole area. I mean, it's not just Hermitage and Sharon. It's it's that that whole area is is pushing for. Um, I really like it. Hopefully, they'll uh, host a startup weekend quite soon. Yeah. So, so unfortunately, uh, we had to cancel that. So uh, it uh, happens. Yeah. But nonetheless, really looking forward to being able to kind of get the co-working experience in there through that. Now, there's other co-working spaces that are emerging. I really like that topic. Yeah, there's one in Butler uh, that's coming up right now on Main Street, run by an accountant over in Butler. And uh, I think it's interesting how, you know, business owners, they have an office space, you know, they have their trade they're doing, but they're kind of getting creative in terms of revenue, in terms of kind of being creative, right? Mm-hmm. I, I like that because most, some co-working spaces aren't just dedicated specifically uh just for you know people to come in and work there but people are actually like actually continually working there uh as well as individuals that can have memberships which is really cool i hear there's uh there's a couple co-working spaces in pittsburgh one of them has like uh, a keg on tap at all times so yeah they usually come at least with free coffee and so uh (laughs) i actually one of my mottos is at least the coffee's free, you know. So if you have a bad day at a job, at least the coffee's free. Because if you're at home, you gotta make your own coffee. You yeah. <laughs> so, so even it applies to co-working too. Yeah, at least the coffee's free. Absolutely. So Andy, do you have any other advice for entrepreneurs, uh, specifically maybe in college right now, or that have an idea that they've kind of had for a little while but don't know how to implement? Uh, whether it be you know plethora of reasons yeah there's there are resources out there um, and uh, you have to I think I think as I continue to move forward it's just through pushing on as many ropes as possible um, I'm working it from every angle I can um, and you know it's it's not easy um, you either are wired for it or you're not um, so it, you know, it's one of those things, one of those professions that weed, weeds itself, you know, weeds out the people that aren't, aren't made for it quite, you know, quickly. It's, you know, there's no one to pat you on the back and say, good, good job. You know, you may not get that for a long, long time. Um, and yeah, it's, you, yeah, you can get lonely and feel isolated and feel like the world's crashing in on you. Um, so it tests your faith um, and, uh, you know, test your relationships with your spouse, um, your kids, because they want to know that dad's going to be able to pay the bills too. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't imagine managing that as well. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a balancing act. Um, yeah, you, you have to want it more than anything else in the world. Um, and I'm, I'm on the bubble there. Um, it's it's a struggle to keep going, to find enough money to keep going. And, uh, you know, for my, for, you know, right now I'm floating unemployment and, um, you know, trying to work, work this entrepreneur thing. But if it doesn't happen soon enough, I'll have to get a full-time job again. So... I'll just keep at it. That's the one step, one foot after the other, right? Yep, yep. Well, thank you so much, Andy, for being on the fishbowl today. 
Really appreciate your time as well as your wisdom that you shared with us here. Uh, anything final to add for you? Final add. Life is really, really short. Um, as you get older, it gets shorter. <laughs> uh, I've had to write down on paper that, yes, I'm actually middle-aged. I have more years behind me than I have in front of me, and that's scary. Um, but you get one shot at life. So you, living with regrets is not fun. Um, and if, if you have that entrepreneurial store stirring in you, um, you only get, you may only get one shot, you know, it doesn't necessarily come around twice. Um, so you pretty much have to, you gotta run with it. Um, or regret it the last rest of your life. What if, what if, what if, what if I had tried? And, uh, yeah, you can always get a full-time job. You know, you may not get another chance to, you know, make your grandma's tea or, you know, start a metal coating business. Um, that's some good tea, by the way. I'm glad you like I it. I like it a lot. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess that's, that's... Awesome. Yeah. Thank you once again, Andy. This has been Episode 7 of The Fishbowl. Thank you for listening.